Hello and welcome to Just Stories. We share inspiring stories of real people leading lives impacted by social justice, advocacy, and service. Here how our guests have used their experiences to make a difference in the lives of others. And remember, it's all about the story, theirs and yours. Just Stories. Hey, Mark, how are you doing today? Jane, I'm okay. It's good to, good to hear from you again. It's a rainy day at the time of this recording in the middle of December, and it is just, it's dreary out there. What are you up to today on a day like this? Uh, you know, just always crunching the grades in my grade book, because <laughs> I'm a high school teacher, so we're getting close to the end. I ended up having to have a Zoom uh, conference with a student of mine. Um, this is a really hard time for young people, and so, you know, just having a one-to-one Zoom conference, uh, just trying to reassure her that everything's going to be okay and there are ways to see her through. And um, yeah. yeah. Well, well, God and, love you. I mean, you had that conference probably this morning, I bet, right? Yeah. And it's <laughs> yeah. a weekend and I'm sure you might have <laughs> one tomorrow too and any time of day. I do. So, I do. I yeah. think it's really important that we just have to always be there for our our students. Uh, this is a, a crazy time, but they do need to know that we're out of sight does not mean out of mind. So yeah, for um, sure. For even sure. though she didn't show herself because you know she's still behind the avatar in the Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> I Keep like, it a little impersonal. So am I going to see your face today? No, I'm sorry, not today. I'm like, okay, that's totally understandable. Let's let's just talk so, about what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh yeah. my goodness. Well, thanks for all the good work you're doing in this Always. in the classroom. Always. In the Zoom room. In the Zoom room. Yeah. We're in it together. We're in it together. So, uh, okay. Uh, so who do we have today? Oh, today it is just a, a pleasure to be talking with Pastor Tony Gatewood today, uh, an old friend of mine. And uh, Tony wanted us to know that he lives by his vocational credo. I am put on this earth by God to draw out childlike faith in the lives of believers and non-believers by teaching and demonstrating to them the truth of God's word and the world we live. Born and raised in the south side of Chicago, Tony grew up in poverty. When he was 15, Tony gave his life over to Jesus and has been following Christ's promptings to bring the gospel cross-culturally wherever he goes ever since. He's had opportunities to serve in Los Angeles, Atlanta, St. Louis, Guyana, South America, and he currently resides in Iowa. He's a Hawkeye. Uh, Tony has ministered with University Christian Fellowship for close to 20 years now, including student work. Uh, he's been married to his lovely wife for 11 years and has two children, nine and five years old, a little girl, a little boy. And uh, currently, Tony serves as the associate pastor at City Church in Iowa City, Iowa. So, Pastor Tony, it's uh, so good to have you here with us. You and I go back uh, many years to a time. When yes, we, were we both, do. Yeah, to a time we were both much younger. You were really just a kid back when we first met, right? I was my kid's age, if you think about it, right? I was my daughter's age when you met me and I started to be connected. So that's that's full circle. That's for sure. I mean, we have a we have a young adult really of, of the span of our time together. That's crazy. Yeah, and I've got kids that are almost grown up themselves. So yeah. I just actually honestly, honestly, I just pulled up a picture um of when I was at your home and your daughter Julia and your son. And I mean, they're, they're my kids age. We had the pleasure of having Tony at our house for, I think a summer. And uh-huh. uh, we learned all sorts of things from Tony 
And we still to this day call syrup scissorp because that's you know what you taught our kids. So, scissorp. Scissor like scissors, like I don't know. No scissor, but it, I, I don't know what I why I taught them that. Scissor. That's I was actually preparing to, for, for Mrs. Work, right? We remember you when we have syrup at the breakfast table. We we remember Tony. Why, why did I teach that? See, it's my young age. That was in a younger age. I've really matured since then. You know? Isn't that funny? Because like of all the things you want people to remember, of all the good messaging <laughs> you've sent, of all the good role modeling that you did, the one thing is, ben, is oh the scissor. Scissor. Yeah, pretty much. There's a little bit more than that. There's a little bit more than that. But actually, it's That's been awesome. it's just been outstanding to see Tony. You um, kind of go from a time when you were. You know, you grew up in the city, in the inner city, yep. and uh, you yep. wound up on uh, a, a big campus in the middle of the heartland of Iowa. Uh, tell us just a little bit about that, um, kind of going from from the city to Iowa, and your a little bit about your journey. Oh in that. Here's here's the here's the hot take, right? I made a declaration of faith to Jesus at a Wendy's on the south side of Chicago. Uh, through predominantly Korean American missionaries, right? Um, uh, and one of the ladies who first started this uh, program, she got prompt. She felt the prompting of the Lord to start this program with kids from the south and west sides of Chicago, and I was uh, able to be a part of that at that young age. And as she went to a church, the church that Mark went to as well, they would get volunteers to help out. We would do different kind of like like summer sports and stuff with each other weird things like putting flour in our face digging for gummies and eating cookies off of the off the string you know uh, gen z's won't know about that those days mm -hmm. right <laughs> but, um but it was actually at that point because i literally believed that i was like i walked around with a belief of a death sentence really that saw statistics that young black boys um who make it past the age of 19 from the 80s inner city can wind up being successful. Well, I had been robbed, I've been shot at, and, and I'm a I'm a I'm a pacifist as a kid, you know. And so I'm like, I'm dead. There's no way. I'm I'm just a I'm just turkey, right? I'm just like ready for harvest. Um, but when I gave my life over to Jesus and I and I turned my life over to him, it was that was the first time that I actually felt like I had any hope for a future. And literally I didn't even have hope. I felt like the Lord was inviting me to take the next stage and go to college. I had given up on the idea of that. And so I actually walked around with the, with that in my heart that like I went on a, a school visit to the university of Iowa, went there. I was like, wow, it's very peaceful here. Not a lot of violence. It's not crazy. This is, this is good. And I felt in my heart, felt in my spirit, most likely that it was like the Lord saying that this is where I want you to go. Well, as a new Christian uh, who didn't have any hope outside of God, I took it as law in my life. Mm -hmm. And so before I got accepted into the University of Iowa, I was telling people that God told me that I was going to go to University of Iowa. And specifically this little story, Knox College was in Galesburg, Illinois. I went on a college visit there and I was talking to the counselor. And, you know, I feel really like cavalier almost because I know where God wants me to go, but I'm going here because I'm a part of this positive peer mentoring program, <clears throat> one of the leaders on it as well. And I'm sitting there in front of the, the in front of the, uh, the counselor. And they're like, what do you think about our school? And I'm like, this is, this is a great school. And they're just like, well, would you like to go here? I was like, well, I could say I'd like to go here, but you know, I think there's some other plans for me and trying to 
answer this question. And she's like, oh, what other plans do you have? I was like, well, I'm hoping to go to the University of Iowa. And I was like, oh, wow. Oh, you know, what make, what makes you drawn to the University of Iowa? I was like, well, you know, you're, you're in this counseling session. They're asking you and you're trying to figure out how do you tell them about your spiritual beliefs <laughs> as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old, 17-year-old kid. And uh, I'm like, well, you know, I just think I, I'm getting a lot of really good advice <laughs> that this is the right place to go. And they kept pressing. And I was like, well, I guess I got to tell them. I was like, well, I feel like the Lord said that he wanted me to go to the University of Iowa. And they're like, did you get an acceptance letter yet? Right. And I was like, nope. And they was like, so how do you know? I was like, God said it. And so then I gave him this weird look. I was like, if the Lord told you something, wouldn't you believe him? And they were oh, like, I love that. I, I, I love guess, that. I, I guess so. Now, here's the funny thing. They sent me an award package, full ride scholarship, almost like $15,000 here and there, Black Alumni some Association, right? I'm African American. And uh, my mom, like, we grew up in poverty. Nobody has gone to college in our, in our direct family and know the process. And, you know, like, you can go to, Two, two, three generations up, and it's just not in our family line. Mm -hmm. And so my mom was like, this is exciting. So what are you going to do? I was like, well, I got to turn it down. And she was like, what? <laughs> I was like, because the Lord said I was going to the mm -hmm. University of Iowa. And then Love it. with the same look, and I said, wouldn't, if the Lord told you to do something, wouldn't you believe him and obey him? And she was like, I guess so. <laughs> so out, of I mouth of, out of the mouth of a 17-year-old kid, too. Something. <laughs> Something wow. Lord have mercy when my kid gets uh, college age. <laughs> Dad, if the Lord told you, yes. <laughs> I can Careful hear that coming that. back. That's oh, but it worked out. It worked out. It did work. It did work. It's amazing. Phenomenal. Amazing. And you had some stops. Uh, actually, after Iowa, then you went uh, onto staff with University Christian Fellowship, I think. Is that correct? That's correct. They what's definitely. That, what's that ministry about? Tell us just a little bit about that for our listeners who aren't familiar. Yeah, InterVarsity uh, Christian Fellowship is a non-denominational uh, collegiate ministry. Its goals is uh, the best way to describe the the vision of it is that we want to see students and faculty's lives transform, um, uh, the campus renewed, and world changes develop. Uh, so we are we have been focused and angled towards the university, towards um, working with these future leaders and working with how the world literally comes to the college campus. And if you can reach the campus, you really can reach the world. And so uh, there, there are like 1600 staff around the country serving in different capacities in order to bring transformation and change to the campus in order to affect the world. Um, organization that's been around for at least 75 years. And so uh, I serve right now in that organization as a national scripture engagement specialist, which means I go around teaching, preaching and coaching and training around the word, uh, innovating methods of studying scripture, especially uh, taking into account cultural context. And so I like to develop uh, ways of engaging scripture that actually invites people's culture into the experience versus like, I think sometimes we tend to want to keep that out because we feel like that distracts and we want to find some baseline, but actually like it's the diversity of who we are that we bring into it. And no one reads the gospel out of context. We all read the gospel. We all hear the words of Jesus in context. Um, if you want me to, I could go through an exposition through Acts to help you see that. But, uh, but yeah, that um, that's that's what we do, and that's what I've been committed to. 
That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing a little bit about kind of your background. And that brings us to a story that you want to tell us today. And um, it's it has the backdrop, I know, of uh, a multicultural student conference. I think it was an university conference. Am I right about that? Right, right. And uh, give us a little bit of a backdrop as to what the circumstances were surrounding this multicultural student conference that you got involved with. Yeah, and to be honest with you, it was inspired by my experiences as a student in Iowa. And so, like, mm. obviously, when I came to Iowa, I realized that there wasn't a lot of chocolate chips in the cookie, if you knew what I mean. Oh, boy. <laughs> are you telling me? I did not. You, know, you are so right. Because, like, I was born, I, I'm Filipino, and I was I was born in America. I was the first person in our family to be um, an American citizen. So our Filipino family was, like, really the only mocha chip on the block so they're, they're exactly. mocha chips i do totally so totally there's leche there's chip there's mocha you know brown and down is what i call it uh, i guess know? i'm white right. i guess i'm white chocolate right. then am i right no, you know or, what? What? there's a i think there's a flavor that we can find for white folk and i've been really searching for it and it's okay. I, I either i'd rather call you vitamin d than just white milk Right. Like I, I like really good for the bones, really good for the bones. I, 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 thank you. <laughs> nice. I was referred to as an egg once white on the outside and yellow on the inside. Interesting. But, uh, I don't know if I know. should be offended or excited. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> so multicultural but, so, uh, ministry yeah, and so, conferences. So the thing was, is that like as a student, I realized that uh, one, our region, which was Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas and Missouri, really struggled with being able to uh, lay the foundation for really uh, a strong black student conference. In fact, the region had never actually done one. They've done retreats and stuff, but not an actual conference that would pull people together. And as a student, you know, I found something lacking sometimes that like I felt like the Lord wanted to invest in my identity development, both as a Christian and as a person of color, as a black man, but that there was just not a lot of opportunities to do that. And so in my whole journey of when I came on staff, I actually went to Atlanta, Georgia and worked four years at historically black colleges and universities. When I came back to replant my campus, my campus ministry, at my alma mater, the University of Iowa, I noticed that I wanted to do something that was intentionally multi-ethnic, that intentionally built things. And I thought to myself, and I remember having a prayer time with my staff some years ago, that if God could do something like this in Iowa, he can do it anywhere. And that was really important to me. I kept that vision. If God can do something like this in Iowa or Nebraska or Kansas and Missouri, then God can do it anywhere. So... So what was going on in my my heart as a um, as an assistant and associate regional director is that I wanted to see a conference that actually brought together uh, marginal communities that nece would necessarily be able to come together, right? So like just something that was just missing. We've never done uh, Asian American student conference at a large at a large enough scale. We've never done a Latino student conference at a large enough scale. We've never done a Black student conference. We've gone to different. We've gone to other regions. But another thing that was there that was in my heart was that like, what does it truly mean to just be black, right? Like there's like to be black is a large diaspora in this world, right? That could be African, Afro-Caribbean, African-American, Afro-Latino, biracial, multiracial. And so I thought that like the best strategy to build up and begin momentum and a place of welcome and belonging for black students is not to just do a African-American student conference 
but a pan-African student conference or a pan-Latino student conference or a pan-Asian student conference where we were welcoming not just people who had a distinction of their culture, but that they felt welcomed and associated in a larger way. And so I built a team. So what I wound up doing is, is, is that like I had no black staff. I was the only person <laughs> full-time black staff in my region. And I'm like, how do I build this conference with no staff? And so it, it became important to me that student empowerment was the way to go. But I thought like I've been given as a senior black leader in my organization, executive leadership skills. What if I took those tools and gave them to students and see what happens if I employed them with, exe with executive skills and then put in front of them the task of it. And so part of this is how I develop leaders, how I help them discover their strengths, uh, how, how to help them understand what it means to execute something and, and, um, and develop something. And so we went from a conference that was zero people. This is just the, the pan-African portion of the conference. We went, from a, we went from zero students to 232. From four states? From four states, from Iowa, wow. Nebraska, Kansas, and Missouri. Think about what comes to your mind when you yeah. think of Nebraska and Iowa and Kansas and Missouri. And it isn't 232 black students registering no. for no. a conference that's at, in Kansas City, Kansas. One, one of the things I told them is that if you want to get people of color to a conference, do not go out into the woods. We are not that type of people. We don't want to <laughs> go and rough it. We don't want to go. Yeah. Maybe that was the justice aspect of it is that like we were doing conferences that were cost effective, but very uncomfortable for people of color. Mm. I was like, what would happen if we could do a cost effective conference that actually would recruit people of color? And I'm like, how do you do that? Well, that's when I started recruiting uh, conference directors for the Pan Latino Student Conference, and the Pan Asian Student Conference. And I was like, what if we used all of our leadership resources together and we housed our conference all at the same hotel? And so it wasn't you were just raising like you had 50 students and you had 100 students and stuff. But now we had students all together and we all did some intentional things because we didn't have a lot of staff all together to develop the next generation of leaders in the process of this conference. This conference wound up going right. The largest multi-ethnic student conference we've ever done in the two year period. That first conference had over 400 people at the conference. Fantastic. Only 25 of those students were white. Mm. that does not happen in mm. in ministry you like it was like because we're like it will it's not it's not like uh people don't see it as feasible i had the national director for black campus ministry sitting in the midst of our conference we called it imani and imani has a double meaning it means uh faith in swahili but imani is also a is also a part of kwanzaa uh, which is a, uh, a holiday post-Christmas, 26th to uh, 31st, that's celebrated by African-Americans. And so this Imani conference became this, this picture of, of how we would celebrate. And it was the first year that Black Panther came out. Uh, oh. <laughs> Saturday, we had Royalty Day, Black Royalty Day. So we're like, okay. whether you're Afro-Latino, African-American, Afro-Caribbean, African-National, Afro-Canadian, I want you to dress in what you believe is your royalty clothing. If you're from the city, dress in city royalty, urban royalty. If you, and, and it was the most beautiful thing I did and what that we were able to do. And one of the things, the anchor of this conference was that we're looking at Ephesians 2 and we're talking about how God has destroyed the dividing walls of hostility. 
and that he has brought people together, right? He created a new humanity and we tackled colorism within the black community. We tackled uh, how gender issues and how we denigrate the women in our community. And we built a live, a live wall out of cardboard boxes that had all of these different isms that affected the black community. And at the same time, the whole conference ran to the wall and knocked it down. Wow. And I thought, I've never seen so many tears wet, uh, eyes watering. So much mm -hmm. power of the spirit of God going in. It was so powerful. A line of repentance lined up in front of this young woman who had been uh, abused by black men. And they must have been in her chapter, in her college campus. And all of these black men in her chapter lined up in front of her and each one took turns apologizing. Oh, wow. He's just weeping and they're just coming up to her and they're just like, mm -hmm. I, I, please forgive me for my sins. They're just repenting, repenting. Mm -hmm. You couldn't tell who was African, who was African national, who was Afro-Caribbean, who was biracial. We had native students, black native students who were like, we feel welcomed in this conference. And his experience, and it and it was the same thing happening in the in the Pan African Conference, and we even had kind of like a uh, a white identity part of the conference as well, where that group of students got to actually be a part of different worship experiences within some of the communities. I I promise you, I had parents who came to the conference, parents who came to the conference to kind of help and volunteer because we were like, it's not just for your students; it's for your mom and dad too. Six churches mm -hmm. and pastors there. Parents come in there who are like, I thought this conference was for my kids. This conference is for me. So much so, I, the, let me tell you, the last Saturday of the conference, I got this whole plan and stuff, right? And we finished the first set of worship. And the students don't want to stop worshiping. No. They were continuing to worship. This one guy, people were about to sit down. And this one guy, he's just still dancing and he's still praising God. And everybody's, you could feel the energy in the room. Like the Holy Spirit's like, we're not done here. Now I have a person who's supposed to be expositing scripture that evening. And my students, they're leading the conference, right? I'm the executive director, but I'm kind of running it from the back and they're yeah. running it from the front. And so my student, he's on the stage and he looks at me and he's like, what do I do? And I was like, well, we're not going to stop the Holy Spirit. That's what we're not going to no. do. And he said, he learned to that guy. He said, he said, I'm, we're going to join you on that praise. And <laughs> at, at the same time, it was like this pop happened and the whole audience just erupted. And it took over the rest of the conference. We had more people turn to the Lord, like 80 or 90 people out of this conference, repent and, uh, and uh, turn to the Lord. We had more people say that, like, I want to be a leader. If I, th I had people, I had 43 people who were like, can I be a part of this? It's called the Empower Program. If this is what it looks like to be staff, is this what it looks like to lead in inner varsity? I want to be a part of, I want to be a part of this movement. In Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, and Missouri, <laughs> predominantly white, predominantly white staff. And yet these students saw an experience of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of, and how and how he wants them and welcomes them in there, that they had a completely different perspective than anybody before who has who's ever came before them. And I think it I think it's really amazing how you heard a call and you set the table. You set the table for these individuals to come from all corners of their states to attend an opportunity. You provided an opportunity for mm -hmm. them all to come together, and then you just released your faith and 
into the moment and you saw that spirit work <laughs> in ways. And, and so like when we're talking about dignity and justice, like how does this, like when the conference was over, right? So have you heard from the students? Do they, is this a returning like annual event? Um, what, what sort yeah. of things did you actually see happen uh, to fortify them and their communities afterwards? Right. So one of the things that we wound up doing is I, I developed a um, a kind of like a handout thing of like people who wanted to newly. We had people who were coming from campuses that there were no campus ministry for black students on. And we we had this greenhouse of uh, what we call a greenhouse planting coaches that came in that coached people who wanted to go back and bring Imani to their campus and or bring our comp the conference experience and, and start kind of a movement for themselves. And so we had people sign up for that. Uh, one of the particular stories was I was asked to come out to Fort Dodge, Iowa. Now understand that Fort Dodge, Iowa is very north in Iowa. Mm -hmm. And this is in kind of like still winter time because the conference was in January and there's a winter storm. Now, Fort Dodge, Iowa is two and a half hours from where I live, almost three. And there was snow and snowstorming. And they're like, uh -oh. could you come up? We have students who want to experience Imani. This one student, she just went around and told people. And she gathered like 90 people on her campus wow. to have. Fantastic. And so I had to drive to the snowstorm. I had my kids in the back. I had my oh. daughter in the back <laughs> with me driving up here. I'm like. Am I a good parent or not? I'm not. What am I doing? Yes. Um, yes. Stu these students were hungry. This is a small community college in northern Iowa that had re uh, a lot of people of color who they recruited and stuff and didn't have community. They didn't know what did it mean like to be black in Fort Dodge, Iowa, and what does it mean to have a faith in Jesus? And most of those people, I'd say at least 50 to 60 percent of those people, they were not following Jesus. But there was about 10 after that that experience that night that did make a commitment to the Lord. And some people were saying things and they had flagrant words to say and whatever like that. But they're like, I'm interested in Jesus, you know, mm -hmm. in the midst of, if this is the experience that I can have here in Fort Dodge. And so there were many things like that that would happen going to Kansas City, uh, University of Missouri, Kansas City, and going on to their campus. Um, both before and afterwards and those uh, and those students they they went and gathered people and so some of the movement of what we what what was happening is that people had the faith to believe that they were hungry people that the harvest was plentiful in these places that otherwise was thought to be disparate and mm -hmm. and, and lacking all of a sudden it was like no there are like like i have this t-shirt that says yes there are black people in iowa yes there yeah. are <laughs> there are black people in iowa. They're black people in Kansas. They're black people they in Nebraska. Sure I mean, the harvest is plentiful. It's the it's the labor that needs to increase, not mm -hmm. not the harvest lacking. Mm -hmm. Tony, one thing that comes to mind as you're talking is the the the, the notion of hope too, and it really struck me um, deeply when you told us about growing up as a kid. You didn't really have hope that you would ever make it out. You didn't have a hope for yourself that That's you right. would survive, literally survive. Yeah, grown up where you grew up, and God put a hope in you uh, when He brought yep. you to Himself, and uh, He gave you a message about Iowa. But uh, you're working with college students, um, and college students um, need that hope as well, and mm -hmm. hope that not only you know um, 
are they getting an education? But uh, there's mm-hmm. a hope for them, their identity. There's a hope for their their life. Um, Absolutely. And uh, hope that goes beyond, um, not beyond their faith, but that uh, draws their faith and their racial identity together as well. And so um, just tremendous, tremendous. Yeah. So the more you see both the dignity of people in their different people groups and their different people language uplifted and honored through Christ, that's a sign of the gospel going forward. That's a sign of the great commission spreading. And so that hope is the same hope that brought Korean American missionaries, right? That's a part of my gospel story from the, from, from the, to the South side of Chicago to share with a kid who did not believe he was going to last five more years. And it was probably true. I'm pretty sure Satan had real good plans for me. Um, but those got thwarted, right? Because some Korean American people ran up into, like, do you want to talk about hope? It's hard to not believe in something when you see people do something as drastic as honor and dignity to you where you're at. Like when I was in the South side of Chicago, and I lived in the um, ho- housing projects of Robert Taylor, really dangerous area. There's a whole drug cartel system going on there, how they sold drugs and stuff. And these Korean American folk would show up into my building and come to my door to kind of meet with us. The gang members thought they were police officers. And so they would set off all the s- signals and people are saying all the code words like five O on S, which means police on state street. And they're shouting up and everybody hiding the drugs and hiding the weed and stuff like that. And I would have to run outside and go to the main person who's setting the signal, right? Because he's the first one who'll get caught. And I said, no, 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 you, you, don't worry. They're just Christians. And then oh. the signal went up through the building like, oh, they're Christians, they're Christians, they're Christians. And it goes up 16 stories <laughs> and they get back to drug dealing and stuff like that, business as usual and stuff like that. Like setting off the ADT alarm and stuff in this whole building <laughs> and stuff. I'm sitting here like that's crazy boldness. I was like, what is this coming from? And so I had to assume that there was something more going on in these people who had the audacity to confront a system that I felt like I was condemned by. That they it maybe through naivete, but definitely through the Holy Spirit, that they were willing to kind of shut down that system. And I was like, if that's the case, then maybe there's something in it for me because I don't want to. I felt ruled by that system, and they just blew up the system by just showing up. And so I'm like, God, you can do this here. You could do it anywhere. And so I saw that, and so it has only strengthened my belief that um, of what what God is trying to do, and it only strengthened my resolve fantastic fantastic just uh it's an amazing to hear the story um that you just told a little bit about these korean americans coming and how that influences the the story that you told us years later about the good work in iowa um so um it just it's just been such a pleasure to hear a couple of these stories of your life and uh i'm sure that god has more a lot more stories in, in store for you there's and definitely more story, where that comes from. There's definitely <laughs> oh, more. Yeah. And, there's, and your story will be impacting the stories of many, many multitudes of people. And perhaps even a few people on our broadcast today. Any last words, uh, Jean? No, just observational. Like, I think it's really, I mean, we had just met today. And already I just feel such a kinship to you. So I'm really um, pleased and, and grateful that... Uh, that the spirit brought us together today. Cause I am like such a, a person who like, I give everything over to, to Christ and the Lord. And he steers me in different directions and introduces me to people 
And all I need to do is just stay open, stay open uh, and I can feel the work inside. And there are days where I'm not very open and you know, I realize, oh, missed opportunity. But here's what I really like picked up from you. It's like you at a very young age, you you gave trust and you were open uh, and and you gave your gave it all over to uh, these missionaries. And then throughout your entire life, you have not flinched. And can you imagine like all the doors and opportunities that you're giving to all of these people mm. in these four states? I mean, I hope that you understand that you are very powerful ripple in this ripple effect mm. and it's going to go on for for a lifetime to your children and all the, all your all your all the people in your church and the, in in your conference and your ministries and statewide and and i just you know thank you so much for sharing so much i've learned so much and you reaffirmed a lot about um humanity mm. and and you know and especially in the time like this where we're feeling so um, isolated, you you in continuing your faith and your hope and your ministry, you are doing a wonderful job of just reminding people that we are unified no matter what, and we have it in, within ourselves. Mm -hmm. And if we don't see it within ourselves, just wait a while because somebody's going to come around and and remind you. Mm -hmm. so, thank mm -hmm. you so much, Tony. Thank you guys so much for letting me share my story and a little bit of it. Next time, maybe I'll tell you about uh, Guyana. And uh, trying to find fish nuggets, oh, shark, nu <laughs> shark, shark nuggets. <laughs> trying to trying to find shark nuggets. And <laughs> we're gonna hold you to that, Tony. Diana, shark nuggets. All right. So we'll be talking to you again sometime. But uh, but for now. And that wraps up this episode of Just Stories. We hope you've enjoyed this time, and you'll join us again. Just Stories is a partnership with Our Savior's Lutheran Church, an ELCA member church, where all are welcome and we join in God's reconciling work, which prioritizes disenfranchised, vulnerable, and displaced people in our communities and the world. Your hosts are people of Christian faith, and we recognize that God works through many vehicles, including those of differing faith or of no faith. Our guests may or may not be members of Our Savior's Lutheran Church. If you enjoyed what you heard, tell a friend, and please subscribe. Tune in next time for more of Just Stories.